Heavenly Father, that is our testimony this morning. Because of your love towards us, we are now enabled to respond and to love you back. And so, Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege to be called the children of the Most High God. We thank you. We bless you. We praise your name for your everlasting love with which you have loved us. We thank you that as the Father of the Lord Jesus, it is in and through you that all the families in the heaven and earth are named. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you in particular this morning as we celebrate the day we've set apart to honor our fathers. We know that you are the first and the model father to us. And so as we look unto you, we thank you that we take our cues from you to be fathers on the earth that will glorify you, honor you, bless you, and train our children in the way that they should go, that when they grow up, they shall not depart from your ways. And so, Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are most welcome. Thank you for our time together. We thank you for the blessing on your word and the power of the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. And uh, we want to welcome you again to World Outreach Church for All Nations, where our vision is building strong families and serving global communities. And so I want to welcome all of our viewers around the world that's joining us this morning. We take you as part of the family, and we welcome you very, very much. And to all the fathers out there this morning, I want to say to you, Happy Father's Day. May you continue to abound in the grace of the Lord Jesus, and that you fulfill your purpose here on earth, and that you're a blessing not only to this generation, but that the seed that you will sow will speak for you at the gate in years to come in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, I am going to begin uh, this series uh, of teaching on what I've called race relations and reconciliation. This is going to be the first installment of many, many, many messages. So just stay tuned. It's going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And as we celebrate Father's Day this morning, I just want to take a moment to remember those whose life has been cut short untimely. And on the bottom of your screen, you'll begin to see the names of all of those who have died at the hands of the police brutality in the United States since 1991, beginning from Rodney King up to the present Richard Brooks. So those names will be rolling on the bottom of your screen just as a tribute, as a remembrance, and as a sobering thought of the moment and the times in which we are living in the United States. So for this first installment of many messages that's yet to come, I want to entitle this America at Crossroads. America 
at Crossroads. Again, remember this is within the series of race, relations, and relationship. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 13 and 14. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and verse 14. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Again this morning, America at crossroads. Throughout the word of God, when men find themselves at a crossroad, we see them lifting up their eyes. We saw this with Lot in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just, giving, I'm just throwing this out. We saw this with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. And again, we saw this with Isaac in Genesis 24, verse 63. Throughout the word of God, when men find themselves at a crossroad, we see them lifting up their eyes. In this case, in the passage before us, in Joshua chapter 5, the battle of Jericho is looming over Joshua. It is a formidable battle against a massive world city. Yet, according to this passage, Joshua did not look down, which is to look to himself. Neither did he hide out. But he lifted up his eyes. In other words, he wanted to know what is God's action plan for the massive, looming battle that was ahead of him. He wanted to get God's perspective as to what should he do and how should he do it. I received many text messages, many emails, maybe WhatsApp messages as well from many well-intended people asking me since May 25, when will I speak publicly about the racial tension and all of the things happening around us? Paradventure, if you've been hiding under the rock over the last few weeks, let me just remind you. America came to a crossroad on May 25 as all of us were shocked at the video of the brutal killing of Judge Floyd on the streets of Minneapolis. And since that day forward, we've seen protests, rallies, people in anguish, angry, frustrated, hurting, crying out for change in America. I believe that from that day forward, America 
reached a crossroad. But like everyone else, even though I was gripped by what I saw, disgusted and annoyed by what I saw, I thought it best not to respond out of the arm of my flesh, nor out of my emotions, but rather to do what Joshua did in this passage, lifting up my eyes and asking God, what are you saying to us? In Joshua chapter 5, in verse 14 again, you notice here that the Bible said, Joshua asked this angel of the Lord, which really is Jesus Christ. He said, are you for us or against us? <laughs> and the answer is incredibly revealing. Because the answer that came up to Joshua was, no, I'm not here to take sides. But the issue, Joshua, that you must answer, whose side are you on? The issue is not what side I am on as God. Because God said in his word, I am the Lord and I change not. You don't have to wonder what side I'm on. But I'm asking you, Joshua, whose side are you on? And that's the critical question for all of us moving forward as we are seeking God for a transformation of our systems and for a, 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 a redemption of our nation. And hopefully what God does in America, we will see replicate all around the world in Jesus' name. So today America's at the crossroads. So I do not take this privilege lightly. After thoughtful and prayerful reflection, I want to make four general statements on this first installment message today. America at a crossroad. Statement number one, the spirit of hate is what we are seeing in the United States. We need to call it what it is. And it manifests itself in violence, in murder, and in racism. Now, hatred is one of the manifestations of the, of the of manifestations of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. And simply the manifestation of the flesh is a lifestyle that is lived apart from the Spirit of God. Love, however, is the antidote of hate. Let me go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He said, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is the answer to hate. Verse 12. Now, not, let, let me read it again, verse 11. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So right there and then, we have a reference to the first murder that ever took place in the scripture. Cain killing 
Abel in Genesis 4, verse 8. But we are told that this hatred is also a murderous spirit. Now look at verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can you imagine this morning you killing your brother or you killing your sister? That police officer that killed George Floyd unfortunately killed his own blood brother. You will see that later as these messages go on. Clearly, hate manifesting the murder. Now, the reason I'm saying this this morning as number one statement is because we are seeing, what we are seeing is clearly a spiritual problem that can only be addressed spiritually. And it is not unique nor limited to the United States. We're going to hear more about that later. So that's statement number one. Saying that hate is what we're saying. Statement number two. This message and all the messages in this race, relations, reconciliation. Hear me. It is not a condemnation of my white brothers and sisters. I need to say that one more time. This message on race, relations, and reconciliation is in no way or shape a renunciation, repudiation, or condemnation of my white brothers and sisters. Therefore, I do not want them to feel uncomfortable nor guilty. Oh, I know far too many good white people. As I was preparing this message, I just reflected back. I remember Mr. Hughes of blessed memory. My father's first boss as a white man way back in Nigeria. Nothing but a good man. I remember my secondary school principal, D.J. Bullock, principal of, at Government College Ibadan, during the time that I was there. Incredible man and leader who modeled for us an exemplary character to be good and productive citizens. When D.J. was, was uh, uh, transferred out of school, all of our student body cried, wept, for days on end, because we did not want him to live. DJ Bullock was a good white man. Oh, I remember my pastor, the one that ordained me into the ministry, without whose grace I would not be standing here before you this morning, Dr. Bob Wright. He also was a good man. Now, I also want to say that while we have a few bad apples among the law enforcement personnel, most of them are very good and dedicated human beings. They deserve our respect. They deserve our support. And we should just walk to root out from among them 
those bad apples that bring a bad repute to this honorable profession. And while I'm at this, I must also say I do not agree with the defunding of the police department. I believe it's gross insanity. Now, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 12 times Jesus made a pronouncement of woe on the scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And then sometimes it says, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and lawyers. Now, I'm bringing this up because you said to me, well, why would Jesus call on these guys and call them out with woes? Remember how we got on this message, Joshua chapter 5, 13 and 14. Whose side are we on? <laughs> and the angel said, I'm not on your side. You need to choose if you're going to be on my side. And the point I'm making is, Jesus made it his life duty in John chapter 17, verse, no, John chapter 3, verse 17. He did not come to the world to condemn men. Jesus did not come to condemn men, but rather to save them. That's why in the spirit of Jesus and in the spirit of the Father, we do not condemn the whites, nor the police. Now, he called them out and said, woe unto you, 12 times. 12 in the Bible is God's number for government. So, Jesus, what were you really doing when you were saying, woe unto the Pharisees, woe unto the scribes? Jesus was addressing the system that they had propped up that enabled them to do the things they did. So by saying war to them, 12 times the number of government, it was actually condemning the systems and structure that enabled the racial injustices and all the other things that those guys do. So today, as I stand before you moving forward, I'm not condemning any one person, but I'm speaking against the structures and the systems that has been in, uh, uh, that has been in place years ago, of which now we are seeing a manifestation. I must also say, as I address this, I reject the inflammatory and the insensitive rhetoric with underlying racial undertones from this White House. Let me make it clear to you. Donald Trump is not the cause of the problem that we're seeing. But he stokes the flame by his divisive statements. And we're saying enough is enough. We have all of us in places, in positions of leadership and responsibility must be very careful in our messaging. When you, as the leader of the free world, says when the, shooting, when the looting begins, the shooting begins. That's a wrong message. Mr. President, that was a wrong message. Rather than tell us about being a law and order president, tell us about being a public safety president. As a black man watching the episodes of law and order on television, 
Those guys coming, busting your doors and kicking walls down. I don't want a law and order president. I want a president that is concerned with public safety. Now, I want to challenge every American, white, black, or brown, to empathize with our black brothers and sisters. And together, let us fight for racial equity and justice. We play sports together. We elected a black president twice together. We defend democracy together around the world. Now, let's make sure that that democracy works for everybody, not just a few. I know that I know that I know that we are better than this. And yes, we will make the change. God helping us in Jesus' name. Amen. So statement number three now. Number one statement, hate is what we're saying. Number two statement, we do not condemn our white brothers and sisters. Number three statement, and this is a biggie, and that is black lives do matter. Now, let me make a clear distinction here. I support the statement of black lives mattering. I do not subscribe to the tenets or the manifesto of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. There are certain things in the agenda, in the manifesto, that I do not find comfortable as a believer. And therefore, I make a clear distinction. I embrace the phrase. This phrase, Black Lives Matter, addresses what is happening right now, that black lives, in fact, should matter in the case of police brutality. I've had objections that the phrase really is discriminatory. I've had people say, well, instead of saying black lives matter, why don't you just say all lives matter? I heard you. I was in that camp myself a while back. But let me remind you, in the, early, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a big movement in America about save the whales. This movement came to be because whales were becoming endangered species. And no one in the United States complained when they said save the whales. They said, oh, no, 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 let's save all the animals. Because the goal of that foundation was to save the endangered species, the whales. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we are saying to you and to the world that we are sick and tired, and sick and tired, and sick and tired of blacks becoming endangered species at the hands of those few bad policemen who's using them for game. No one deserves to die over a 20 or over a fake $20 bill. No one. Now, as I'm saying that, let me also say this. 
I condemn the looting and the rioting associated with this movement. Those are the kind of things that do not allow our message to resonate. It gives the other side a talking point that does not allow them to address the issue. That should not be. Take, for instance, the case in Atlanta. The Wendy's restaurant was burned down. That's a restaurant where Richard Brooks was allegedly sleeping at the drive-thru in his car. They burned the restaurant down. Now watch this, watch what happens. So that black owner of that restaurant is out of business. The six to 10 employees that depended on their payroll or paycheck from that out of work. And unfortunately, perhaps do not have the skill to get a good job very quickly. Not only that, the city will lose tax income revenue yeah. that that business was generating. Now, how does that affect us? It affects all of us because now the city has less money to provide libraries, parks, community centers, and all the other things we need in our community. So that is wrong. We should never participate in any such thing. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 20, that the wrath of man can never work the righteousness of God. Moses tried that. Um, from what we know, when he killed the Egyptian out of anger, it landed him in the backside of the desert and 40 more years of waiting. It is counterproductive. Statement number one, hate is what we're seeing. Statement, statement number two, the white man or the white sister should not feel condemned. We do not condemn them. Number three, black lives do matter. And my last statement, number four, the church is the salt and the light of the world. The Bible is very, very clear. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it on their basket, but in a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As you will see from next week, the church has a role to play that is very, very significant. And in the past, where we have not played this role as salt and light, we have seen the consequences that we are seeing today. I'm going to show that to you next week. Salt is a purifying agent. It's a preservative. It's a flavor enhancer. Light, on the other hand, dispels darkness. What we are seeing in America and all across the world today is the absence of salt and the absence of light. And the indictment is on the church. 
We must be careful not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And I, again, I said, I will address that, address that next week. The issue that's before us cannot be resolved in one or two messages, neither by our roundtable discussions. That's not going to get it. There must be a systematic and biblically sound teaching to help us understand what we ought to do. God's solution for what we see revolves among three God-ordained institutions. The family, as we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, that God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all the family in heaven and earth are named. So the family is number one. Number two institution, their government. Romans 13 verses 1 through 4 tells us God ordains government. And therefore, we should be subject to them. Now, let me just say this as I say that. I thank God for our legislators. They are moving, they are talking, as they've always done. Anytime we have any serious problems, mass shootings, uh, school shootings, they talk, they move, they back and forth and back and forth. At the end, nothing. Nothing. But even in the best case scenario, if they pass laws, I will commend them for it. But I must warn you, the law cannot change anyone's heart. It cannot change anyone's heart. So you and I have a role to play. And this morning, we're going to begin to move and flow in our role. It starts with repentance. Repentance is not just mobbing and crying and asking God to tear your coat and ashes and, and all that sackcloth. No, no, no. Repentance in the New Testament means you change your heart. You change your position. You turn from your old ways of belief, the belief system, your old ways of believing and turn towards God. We see this example in the case of the prodigal son who upon remembering how much his father loved him, the Bible says he arose and began to go towards his father. So repentance means to change your heart, to change your belief system and turn towards God. And I'm going to start with us this morning, with us in the church. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice here at home in the sanctuary or in your living room or wherever you are listening. If there's been any time where you've looked at or spoken to anyone in a demeaning or, cond or condescending way because of their ethnicity, you stand guilty. Now, let, let, let me say this. Let me say this again. We cannot be part of the solution if we're part of the problem. It's always easy to point at the other person. Ah, this man, that woman, that person, that person. That's true. But remember, we are talking about race relations and reconciliation. If at any time any of us has looked at, spoken of, or thought anything that's demeaning or compromising or condescending about anyone else of a different ethnicity. 
You are guilty. I stand guilty before you. I've done it. I've thought it, spoken it. And I'm saying if I am going to be a part of the solution, then I need to change my thinking. And so do you. So do you. So do you. We need to be honest. We are talking about race, relations, and reconciliation. Because at the end of the day, as we begin to see from next week, you will see that all of us have a common humanity. If I will not look at my brother Kunle in a condescending, demeaning way, because he's my brother, I should not do so to the black, brown, or white man or woman. Just that simple. Just that simple. So that's number one, repentance. Number two, every true repentance has a corresponding action. John the Baptist says, show me fruit meat unto repentance. Let me ask you a question. How many of us have dared to enter the home of a person of a different ethnicity? Wow. I know we are social distancing. It is so quiet here. I'm, it's deafening. Maybe because I'm alone in the sanctuary. <laughs> this is the point I'm making. We all get so comfortable with people of our own kind. And we never cross the line. We never go outside of the lines to meet and to befriend others that's not quite like us. And as long as we do that, the enemy will wear us out. Because there's something about proximity. When in a small group setting, the whites and the blacks and the brown come together and talk and share, you begin to break down those walls. You begin to understand how each other thinks. And you begin to appreciate one another. And all of a sudden, the differences become strength and not a weakness. So we have work to do. We need to repent. And we need to follow that repentance with corresponding action. And lastly, if there's someone out there this morning that is not born again, you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to assure you, according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, that God has loved you with a holy love before the foundation of the world. Let me say that one more time. God's love for you preceded before your mother and your father came together. Not only did he love you, he had a plan for your life before you were ever born. The Bible says in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. So God loves you. He called you. And he has destined a super natural destiny just for you. However, because of sin, there was created a gulf between your eternal past, that which God thought and dreamt of you before you were born, and your reality now, and your eternal future. Sin created a gulf between what God thought about you and where you are now and where he wants to take you. That's why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to become the bridge, to bridge you from God's thoughts towards you, to bring you to the reality of that thought, and so you can be on your way living for God and fulfilling the God-given destiny. Sin became a barrier, but Jesus became the answer to become a bridge. Because you see, the Bible says very clearly, the soul that sins, it shall die. So rather than me and you dying for our sins, Jesus took our place. And when you accept that sacrifice of his death on the cross, God grants unto you righteousness and forgiveness of sins, and you'll be born again. That's what it means. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you will accept God's eternal gift of salvation so that you can become part of the kingdom of God. So if you just, wherever you are, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, I want to come home. I want to return unto you. I have been lost, but now... I understand that your son Jesus became the bridge, the sin carrier, so that my sins are no longer reckoned to me, but my sins are now reckoned to him. And as a result of his death for me, an exchange take place. He took my sins and gave me his righteousness. And because I believe this, I am born again. I thank you for your gift of eternal life. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if that was you, if you said a prayer, and you meant that prayer, something just happened to you. You just crossed over from the kingdom of darkness in the, into the kingdom of God's dear light. Amen? And so, if you just let us know by sending us a, uh, an email or go to the website, uh, there's a place on the website. Uh, walk f the website. <laughs> Walkfindusa.org. Walkfindusa.org. W-O-C-F-E-N-U-S-A.org. And we'll be able to stay in touch with you and uh, um, keep you uh, informed of how you can grow in your faith in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. Remember. From Wednesday, on Wednesday, we're going to do something a little differently. On Wednesdays now, we're going to be praying what we preach on Sunday. We're going to be praying what we preach on Sunday, on Wednesday. Because this is a serious time, a different season, and we're believing God for a transformation in our nation on race, relations, and reconciliation. So we're going to intentionally, on Wednesday nights, pray for the four points we mentioned this morning. And we're going to do that until we finish these messages. Now, stay tuned. This is just the first installment. There are many, many more to come. There is no way in one message we can cover everything that needs to be covered. Amen? God bless you. Uh, Pastor Tessie will come on now, and uh, we will see you next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.